That's good. Hey, let's pray, shall we? Father, we just thank you for all that you're doing and just even the things that we've heard about this morning. We just bless you for your presence. Yeah, bless you, Jesus. Yeah, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against, all, against evil spirits in heavenly places. You know, one of our, our core values is God is good. God is in a good mood. You know, and that hasn't changed <laughs> at all. There is nothing that has happened this week that has called God to give up, to quit, to decide that he's really angry at humanity after all. You know, and, and if you enter into the presence of heaven, one of the things that you always find is that it's an atmosphere that's electric with hope. Now, we really do live in exciting times. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know if I mentioned, I was at a, a conference and um, had the privilege of having dinner with a gentleman, Lef Hetland. And uh, Lef has seen a million, million Muslims come to the Lord in the last five years in Pakistan. And he was showing us some photos that he was invited into meet with what he thought was one of the um, uh, cabinet ministers of Pakistan. And when he arrived, it wasn't just that particular cabinet minister. It was actually most of the cabinet of Pakistan, plus they had invited ambassadors from most of the Arab countries and some in the UK for him to specifically address about the hope of heaven. And he was able to share this and, um, at, a, at a hotel. You know, God is on the move. God is on the move. It's exciting times. You know, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And, you know, I believe that the kingdoms of this earth are going to become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, just as it says in Revelation chapter 11. And what we have, you know, and understanding that, we need to realize the consequences of it. If God's kingdom is increasing and is growing, we actually have a defeated enemy. We have a defeated enemy. He is an enemy that has been backed into the corner, if you like, like an angry wild animal. When I was young, we uh, one time uh, from friends, we chased a possum into a uh, room in a house that we were in. I mean, it's a bit more of an involved story. I don't have time to go into this morning. But basically, we ended up with this, this possum cornered. And he'd been relatively wild, but when he got cornered by about five or six, nine-year-olds, he became quite wild, as you can imagine, and wanted to get out of there and wanted to scratch and claw and, and became this wild beast. Well, you know, I believe that that's exactly what we've got with Satan. He's, he's backed into a corner. He realizes he's defeated, and he, he is, he's responding and reacting in the only way that he knows, and that he's coming at it. And our job, you know, is not to respond to his anger, but to respond to the atmosphere of heaven. God is good. And the God is still in a good mood. And this wild animal, this mad dog, if you like, knows he's defeated. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to demoralize the people of God on this earth. Why? Because we're the ones who hold the answer. We're the ones who hold the key. See, Colossians 2 verse 15 says, He disarmed, talking about Jesus, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by the cross. You see, make no mistake about it. When Jesus paraded Satan through the streets, the devil was under no illusion whether he had won or lost. 
None whatsoever. He is defeated. But he still has a weapon that he tries to use. He simply sets out to dishearten believers, to cause them to believe that they are actually the ones who are losing ground, are the ones that are, who are powerless. And see, in a lot of churches, the atmosphere of the day, what's happening in the world is used as evidence that, that, um, for the need for Jesus to come. You, you probably have heard it, you know, well, these are the signs of the times, right? It's time for Jesus to return. Time for Jesus to come. Well, hey, wakey, wakey, church, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And he's not coming to do any more than he did 2,000 years ago. He's, he's coming, when he does come, he's not coming to build a sword, he's coming for a beautiful bride. A beautiful bride who has stopped responding to the wild dog in the corner and started to respond to the hound of heaven. The enemy is, com- see, the enemy is completely content with the, when churches think that their job is simply to survive. You know, oh, we've got to hold the fort. We've got to hold the fort. You know, there was a hymn in 1874. Listen to this. See the mighty host advancing, Satan leading on. Mighty men around us are falling. Courage almost gone. Jesus signals still, hold the fort for I am coming. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, I am not holding any fort. Let me be clear on that. My job is not to hold the fort. My job is to see the kingdom advance with every single breath I take. With every breath I take. The reality is that that no political institution can deliver what the world is looking for. No program, no plan, nothing. There is not the right plan. The earth is groaning for one thing, it says in Romans chapter 8, for a people who are responding to heaven. Romans 8 says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. It goes on in verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation itself is waiting for the children of God to walk into their destiny, to take hold and believe the word of Jesus and begin to step it out with the power and authority that we've been given. And for too long, we have believed, the church has believed that its goal is survival. Our goal is not survival. There has to be an emergence of a people, a people of destiny, a people of God, empowered and walking in the full authority of who God has called us to be. You know, the signs of the time is this. Jesus has already come. He has filled us with his spirit. He has given us the the mandate to rule in love, to see his authority released. And we need to begin to grasp hold of that and walk in it in its fullness. You getting this? You know, God is not a God of vengeance. He's not a God of anger. And I think the church has spent so much time screaming at the top of its lungs a minor attribute of God. And I tell you, it will get us nowhere. God is wanting us to represent him as he truly is. As a father who's coming for his people, who's coming to this orphan planet to bring and restore and reconcile sons. Have you you ever thought about God's plan for redemption? I mean, in all honesty, have you ever thought about it? I have. And I kind of, and I've asked Jesus, 
a question. What on earth were you thinking? I mean, because when you think about it, it sounds a little bit scary. I mean, Jesus had one shot, and he picked the 11 stooges. You know? Completely inept. I mean, you know, Jesus must have had a sense of humor, you know, or you too, I'm going to call you guys the sons of thunder, because I have no idea what you're going to do. You know, oh, what? You want to call thunder down on that, you know, fire down on that town? No, that's not a good idea. You know, silly apostle, naughty. You know, it's not how it was. You know, why would you pick Peter? I mean, you know, tonight the rooster's going to crow and you're going to do something that you're going to regret. Jesus put all his eggs in one basket with 11 guys that, you know, to be honest, it felt a little bit shaky. And it was the only chance that it was going to work. You know, I mean, I, I look at it and I think, man, Jesus, just, you know, you're going to use me? Going to use us? I mean, look at some of you. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> only joking, only joking. <laughs> Just making sure if you're awake. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a wonderful bunch, aren't you? Just marvellous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, God, have you seen my past? Have you seen what I've done? And yet you're trusting me with this message of hope. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I, sometimes I have no idea. I feel like I have no idea what's going on. And yet you're telling me to go into the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom. You know, he's called a people. Not simply to survive, but to overcome. He's called us not simply to survive till he comes back, but to overcome. Romans 8, verse 37. Know all these things, sorry, know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. John 4, 4. If you, you, are, a child, you are of God, little children, and have overcome because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You see, we're not simply to survive and just make it. We're called to be glorious overcomers. We're called to be overcomers. That's who our identity is. You know, John 16, 33, Jesus says, you're going to have trouble in this world. But take heart, for I have overcome. In fact, he actually says, be of good cheer. <laughs> you know, are you kidding, Jesus? I mean, I mean, all the stuff that's coming against me, and you're telling me to be of good cheer? Do you really know? Yes, I know. I know that heaven is vibrating with hope. Yeah, I don't want to be left behind. In fact, I don't believe in this left behind calamity stuff. Because you see, what I think it does, it stops us from doing what we're called to do. You see, if we're waiting for a bus to come and pick us up outside, then we're going to stop doing what we're called to do. And it's time for a generation to step into destiny. 
and, and, and again, you know my heart on this. I don't mean a, a particular age group, uh, the 20s or the 30s or the, the 40s or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about a generation of people, whatever age, that says, hey, we have some answers. And then respond to the world in hope and love. You see, because if you're, if you're not hoping about your situation, you're believing a lie. If you're not hoping about your situation, you are believing a lie. And you can see, I can say that every week, and I often do say it week after week. I can give declarations. I can write it in my muse. I can do all those things. But the minute something happens, the real question is, how am I going to respond? How am I going to respond? You see, and I've got to be frank, there have been days where I'd like to say that, and, and, and yeah, it even just been one or two, but it's been more than that. There have been days where, where I have declared declarations every 10 seconds. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I make a declaration, I feel good. I feel good. Ah, what happened? <laughs> I lost my salvation. Oh, God. Make another declaration. You know, there are days like that. There really are. There are times like that. But there's a commitment also to change. And, you know, to walk into change, our commitment to change has to be greater than our commitment to remain the way we are. And, and we can talk about change as much as we like, but unless we really make that commitment to walk through the pain that it will take to change, we will remain the same. And we need to begin to understand that we're called not to just survive, but to be overcomers. We've not been given the job of just holding on until Jesus returns to, uh, for him to take victory. He took victory. You see, he took victory. The cross was 100% completely effective and sufficient. It's not the cross plus a tribulation that's going to gain the salvation of the world. The cross did it all. And if anyone comes to you ever to preach a different gospel, and I don't care if it's 12 blue angels, or if it's a prophet with great reputation who stands on the mountain and speaks, if anyone comes and gives you a different gospel than what the cross has done, you need to reject them. The cross is the central message of all that we have and what we do and what we preach. The cross completely provided the way of salvation of all of humanity and the restoration of all things. It is available now. And for too long, we have been holding on, hoping something else will come. We have been called to be getting overcomers. We have been given the tools of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to walk out effectively what the cross has done. And we need to begin to walk in that. The cross has completely provided the way of salvation. And do not let the work of the devil influence us. Don't let the devil's work influence us. Well, how do I know if it's the devil? Well, if it looks like the devil and it smells like the devil, it's probably the devil, okay? <laughs> or if that's too complicated, here it is. God good, devil bad. Okay? Simple as that. If it's bad stuff, it's from the devil. Listen, there was not once where Jesus was there and someone came to him and said, Master, I'm sick. And Jesus said, well, hey, lucky you suck it up because God bless you with that sickness. He never said it. What did he do? He healed them. God good, devil bad. Okay, just keep that one right at the top and you'll do pretty well. 
If it's bad stuff, it's come from the devil. And listen, people are never our enemy. It's the spirit that's within that is the enemy. And we need to learn to position ourselves to confront the spirit behind whatever is happening. The spirit is trying to sow disharmony, discontent, and false control and power. We need to see it for what it is and not try to come against people. But the devil will try to do everything. He's like a roaring lion, it says. He is not a roaring lion. Okay, he may sound like it, but he's not. You know, we we have a bath at home and and, um, unlike showers and and, and a lot of sinks these days, our bath still runs on a hot and cold tap. Don't know if you have baths or whatever like that. And the, you know, you, you, put, you try to balance the water out to get it and, you know, you've got the hot running and the cold, you put your foot under the hot, it's too hot, you put it under the cold, it's too cold, you know, and they'd all kind of carry on. And you know what, it makes me think that that's exactly like what we're walking into. It's as if right now we have the hot and cold tap running. You see, we have these wonderful things that are happening in the kingdom that God's breaking through, but we also have this mad dog of an enemy in the corner that this conceit, this... Um, deceitful, cornered enemy who, who knows his days are limited and he's lashing out with everything he has. So both these taps, if you like, are running. But listen, here's the thing. We get to choose which one we're going to dip our toes into. We get to choose which one we're going to live from. You see, we get to choose. See, you know, We need to know we are a victorious church with victorious worship. We walk as a victorious people. We believe in the victory of Jesus. We know we should be victorious. But there is also the reality that difficulties happen. There are problems in life that are going on at the same time. That's a simple reality. As I say, we never want to deny the reality of those things going on around us. But see, here's the issue. This is what it's all about. What are we responding to? What are we responding to? Are we responding to the things of the kingdom or are we responding to the situations around us? I don't know who said it first, but it doesn't matter. The truth is we are called to be thermostats, not thermometers. Bill Johnson puts it this way. Jesus did not live in reaction to the devil. He lived in response to the Father. He said again, he did not live in reaction to the devil. He lived in response to the Father. That's what we're called to be. Are people responding to what the Father is doing? And I tell you, the Father is always doing good things. He is always doing good things. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. You know, I was thinking about it, what is that deep darkness? And I believe it's gloom and depression. Darkness is covering the earth and all these bad things are happening and, and what comes over people is gloom and depression because of darkness. And you know, you don't move gloom and depression by saying, hey, you're gloomy and depressed. <laughs> that doesn't help. That's not how you shift it. How do you shift it? By starting to rise and shine. You see, it's time for us to arise and shine for our light has come. We are not called to sit and reflect. 
And I mean that in both senses of the word. We're not called to just sit there and reflect what is happening in the world. For too long, the church has reflected what is just happening in the world. Unfortunately, at the moment, if you go on the internet and you read anything that's happening in the American political system and the response the Christian church is having, well, in fact, don't go and read it because it's embarrassing. It really is. We are called to arise and shine, and it's an active thing. We're called to do something about it. And as I say, you don't tell people that they're, 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 they're glum or, or whatever. We start by saying, let me introduce some hope into your life. Let me tell you right now that Jesus has reconciled himself to us, or us to him. Actually, because he didn't reconcile him to us, we were reconciled to him, it says. We need to learn to be in this position of arising and shining. You know, and even these times of trouble, I, I don't think we get them because of this, but I think that acts as a catalyst, that they, they can be a catalyst to find out what we are actually shining, to see what our real values are. What, what, what are your real values? Do you really believe that Jesus did it all? Do you really believe that there are going to be three things left, that there's going to be going to remain faith, hope, and love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says? Or, or is there another hidden thing, offense with a bit of bitterness and anger thrown in? What values actually drive you? Are the values of the kingdom really in you? What are you shining? Not what are you reflecting, what are you shining? When you start the day, you know, what am I going to shine today? Am I going to, you know, going to be speaking and declaring and proclaiming what God's done? Over, you know, see, listen, th this is my intention. This is what I want to do. I want to get to this place where I do arise and shine, where I do spend every day proclaiming and declaring over, you know, everywhere I can, over my Facebook, over my Instagram, over my family, all, all over destiny and future, over everybody I encounter. I, I want to get to that place of loving them a little bit more. I think it'll be fun, huh? You see, there's, there's an answer right here. If you, if, you see, if you have the values of the earth, well, it's just not going to get you anywhere. We need to walk with the values of heaven. Yeah? Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to him, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and all the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So there's a prophetic word from Jesus. He said, let me tell you about what's about to happen. You're all going to fall away. And down in verse 36, it goes on. Then Jesus came and with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Obviously, they'd been behaving themselves, no longer called them the sons of thunder anymore. And he began to be grieved and deeply distressed. Isn't that interesting? Was Jesus ever grieved and distressed? Yes. Did he have an answer for it? Yes. Verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Stay here and watch for me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it was possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The message translation translates this, this way. I love it. This is part of you that is eager and ready for anything in God, but there's another part that is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. Isn't that a great way of joking it? In verse 32, uh, 42, it goes on again a second time. He went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, the first thing I think that is interesting there is that it's okay to pray for the same thing more than once. It's okay to do that. Pray for the same thing over and over again. You know, I think sometimes we get caught in, in our kind of environment into the religious trap where, you know, I prayed and believed. So it must be okay. And then we live in fear and despair for the rest of our lives. It's okay to pray more than once. Jesus did it. In fact, some translations say that he prayed the same words. It's okay to pray. So don't let's get into that old formula thing. Forget that. Pray what's on your heart. Pray what's on your heart. And he came in, verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed for a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, the one who is betraying me is here now. Now, Jesus is coming face to face with overwhelming trouble. The most overwhelming trouble ever. I mean, this is just not about a crucifixion. This is the culmination of a battle of who is in control of this planet, whether it's Jesus or Satan. Was Jesus king or was Satan king? This is the culmination of that battle. This is the most trouble anybody could have ever had. It's the final battle between heaven and earth to see who's in charge. This is it. The Message Bible puts it this way, in verse, in a, talking about Ephesians 6. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for Keats, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. You see, this wasn't just a little joust about thing. This was a battle for kingdom and dominion. And, and the very time it was happened, minutes before it was to happen, minutes before this incredible spectacular event was to unfold, he gives his, dis his disciples instructions. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You see, here's the secret for any temptation that comes. If you want to, uh, to deal with any tribulation, any problem you're in, anything that's happening, here's a simple answer for it. Watch and pray. It's the bottom line. Our job is to watch and pray. But not to watch what's happening on earth, but to watch what's happening in heaven. Our job is, is, is not to pray from earth, but to pray from heaven. We see what we've got to learn is to see, to look and see what's happening in heaven and to bring it to earth. That's our mandate. And in the church for too long, we've decided that if we could accurately in some way diagnose what's happening on the earth, it's more spiritual. So we get all these people writing all these things about how disastrous it is, how wrong it is, how things, and, and, and bring up this really incredible picture of the success of Satan. And in some way think we're being more spiritual. Why do we want to honor him? 
He's a defeated enemy. We want to walk in the truth and the reality that heaven's answers bring solutions on planet Earth. And so often what we've done is, is we've, we've tried to diagnose, start in the earth, look at what the problems are, create this incredible thing, and then try to create some sort of program or process to defeat it. Jesus' answer was simple, watch and pray. Look and see what's happening in heaven and release it on earth. You see, listen, God is in the business of reconciling people, in raising people up. God is in the business of restoring hope into people's lives. And if you don't think that, then I don't know what planet you're on, but you, you know, you're not on planet Bible, I'll tell you that. Because the reality is that's what he's all about. His whole mission in life is reconciliation. Well, sorry, not in his life. His, his mission is reconciliation, or our mission is reconciliation. And, it, and, and it's a defeated enemy that wants to put barriers between people, to have people doubt one another, to have people to question one another. Because, you know, as it says in, in Genesis, if they're, they're unified, they can achieve anything. It's an interesting verse to think about. And what we need to do is see what's happening in heaven and go, call it to earth. Are we going to start praying to that? Are we going to start seeing what's going on in heaven, the hope, the joy, the redemption, the, and begin to speak that into every situation that we're involved in? If we come into a situation where there's a marriage discord, speak life into it. Declare the hope of heaven into it. If we come into a situation of, of relational breakdown, speak the hope into it. If we, we come against someone who, or if we find someone who's coming against us, speak life. Speak life. Am I going to live my life on what, what is happening or am I going to live my life from what heaven wants? Am I going to let my life affect atmospheres? See, am I going to let what's inside here affect the atmosphere that's around me? And, and be in that place of saying, hey, this is the word of the Lord for any situation. See, here is the word of the Lord for, for all situations. I've got it. I've got this. I got this for the last 2,000 years and I want you to trust me because I've got this next situation you're about to go into. Believing in doom is not more spiritual than believing in heaven. It actually sounds pretty stupid when I say it like that, right? But for so many Christians, we, we believe, you know, we position ourselves under the authority of Satan. We really do by believing that he can have an effect on us. He can only have an effect on us when we position ourselves to, to allow that to happen. He is a defeated enemy. Yeah, do we get that? Remember, God good, devil bad. Just track with that one. If that's all you remember today, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it simple, people. <laughs> you know, the very definition of the kingdom of God is the restoration of all things. The harmony of Eden needs to be restored. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about, restoring everything to its proper order. And we can't allow the, the spiritual climate of a cornered dog affect our eternal climate. We really can't. Bazeziobub is one of the names of Satan. I should go here. Do you know what that actually means? 
the father of poop. <laughs> the Lord of dung. Truly. That's the polite version, you know, the father of kaka. <laughs> and we let him affect our lives. Come on, people, we've got to position ourselves to live victorious. You see, we let him affect our lives while there is someone living inside of us as greater than he is, who is the greatest of all. He's called the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in you than that is in the world. And he's calling us. And let we let this cornered dog affect our hope, our joy, and our cheer. No. No. Let him who dwells in us affect our eternal, our atmospheres. He's calling us to new levels. Our internal world is, has been created in heaven and it's full of hope, joy, love, and peace. And that should be affecting our environment around us. The kingdom of our Lord and his Christ will overcome the kingdom of the enemy of this world. Revelation eleven fifteen. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to do. And it's our job, it's our job to soak up heaven, not earth, to rise and be and shine and be a light, not just to soak up what's happening on earth, not to diagnose it, not to, to point out how the different shades of darkness of what's happening around or even who's to blame. Because then so often we've got, we've, we think we've figured it all out. But see, what our real thing is to do is to soak up the atmosphere of heaven and take that and shine it into every area that we go. I want to be so heavenly minded. I, I, want, to, I want you to be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. To think about things above, not below. Things that are eternal, not temporal. See, we have a God. We have a God that, who is in the process of making everything exceedingly abundantly more right. And while he's doing that, it's our job to rise and shine. Yeah? Let's stand, shall we? You going to rise and shine? I'd give you that little ditty, but after last week's little song, you know, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory, children of the Lord. And that is that. <laughs> yeah. So, Father, we thank you that you're still in charge that you still are the kingdom of the earth. You're the king of the earth last week. You're the king of the earth 2,000 years ago and you'll be the king of the earth tomorrow morning when we wake up. And Father, I thank you for the increase of your peace and your government that there will be no end. Lord, I thank you that your kingdom is advancing and that, Lord, we will be a people who not over 
who do not only overcome, but that we will be overcomers. And the Father, we will not listen to the lies and the accusations of this angry mad dog in the corner. God, I thank you for victory. I thank you that you've told us that when troubles come, be of good cheer. Lord, we, we decide, we determine that we're going to be a people of good cheer. Lord, not everything is perfect. But we know because you are the Lord of Lords and King of Kings that everything is going to work out exceedingly and abundantly to your glory and for our benefit. And Father, I thank you for that. God, I thank you that you're just releasing a fresh glory upon us as a people, teaching us to rise and shine and walk as overcomers, to see heaven released in every place that we go. And Father, even now, I pray that there just be a fresh release of hope over this house this morning. Father, there just be a fresh release of hope and joy over this house this morning. Thank you, Father.